Hey Peace Family, I'm John Huneman and you are invited to a special event hosted by our new Peace for Justice ministry. On March 16th at 7pm on Zoom, we are going to have a conversation with Steve Garland, who is the founder and executive director of the E.L. Hardy Center, which works to help underprivileged children and their families by providing mentorship and safe spaces to be curious and learn new skills. You can sign up to hear more about Steve's unexpected journey to founding the Hardy Center, the daily challenges that local families face, and how they're overcoming them. Sign up now at peacegahanna.org or with the link in the show notes. Okay. Here's the sermon. It's so wonderful to see and talk to real live people. Yes. After months of just seeing Pastor Doug's eyebrows, it's great to see about a hundred eyebrows. This is wonderful. So glad that you're here this morning. Well, this morning we start our first Sunday in the season of Lent, this season of the church year where we get ready for Holy Week and the celebration of Easter. And we decided this year for this series of Lent to look at the Lord's Prayer line by line each week. See, this is the prayer that Jesus said to his disciples, this is how you should pray. So many churches like ours, we say this every time that we gather for worship. But I found that there's a spectrum of how Christians feel about the words of the Lord's Prayer. So on the one hand, you have many Christians who feel that these words of this prayer are very sacred to them. After all, there is something so powerful, there can be something so powerful uh, when our words fail us about coming back to those ancient words that were given to us by Jesus himself. I think this sacred feeling is probably the reason that so many English-speaking churches like ours, we use the King James Version of 400 years ago instead of a modern translation because those words have become so sacred to many of us. But that's one end of the spectrum. Not everyone has that same feeling of connection to this ancient prayer. I think back to when I was in college and the church I went to there, there was a member of the praise team there, and I started to notice, I was watching him one Sunday, I noticed that he had this reaction every time we came to the Lord's Prayer. And after I noticed, I watched for it, and sure enough, week after week, every time we would say, Our Father who art in... And he would yawn every single time that we came to the Lord's Prayer. And so I asked him about it, and he said, it's been like this since I was a kid. Ever since I can remember, every time I say the Lord's Prayer, I can't help it. My body just starts to yawn. See, there's something about that unconscious repetition that made his mind and his body check out so much so that it told him it's time to go to sleep, and he would start to yawn. You see, we say the Lord's Prayer week after week because it's so sacred, but the downside of that repetition is that it can start to lose its meaning if we never take some time to think about the words that we're saying. So that's what we're going to do through this season of Lent. We hope that through this journey together, we might experience this prayer in a new way. I think that this prayer has this power to change how we see the world, to reframe our hearts and our minds. And this week, we're going to look at that first line, which in the good old King James English is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And let's actually start, we'll do kind of three parts, and we'll start with the third part, with the name of God. Actually, God's name was revealed in the book of Exodus. Maybe you remember this story where Moses first meets God in the burning bush, and God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, and God tells Moses that I have heard the cries of my people. 
I have heard the Israelites suffering under slavery in Egypt, and I'm going to set them free. And what's more, Moses, you are going to be the spokesperson. You're going to be the leader to do this. And then Moses has this really interesting response. First of all, he's like, public speaking isn't really my gig, so I'm not sure that I'm really the best choice for this job, God, but let's say that I do it. If I do it, I'm going to tell the people of Israel God's going to set them free, and they're going to ask me what your name is. So when they ask me, what is your name, what should I tell them? You see, this is such a dangerous, pointed question to ask God. Moses doesn't even dare do it directly. God, what is your name? If you remember last week, Pastor Doug talked about the importance of names in the Bible, but this is even more true when you talk about God. You see, in the ancient Near East, pretty much everyone believed that there were many different gods. Different tribes worshipped their own gods. You thought that there was a god over here that did this thing and a god over here who did that thing. So Moses is really asking, which one of them are you? Like, God, are you like that god Asherah that I've heard of, that fertility goddess? Are you like Baal, the storm god? Are you like Dagon or Molech or Kamosh? All of these are gods mentioned in the Old Testament. Which one are you? Tell me your name, God, so I can start to understand you. And then God gives this brilliant response. In Hebrew, it's the phrase, Eyah asher Eyah, which means I am what I am. Or I will be whatever I will be. You see, God gives Moses a name that isn't actually a name. You want to know who I am, Moses? Okay, I am who I am. That's it. God refuses in that moment to be labeled, to be put into this box of something we can understand. See, St. Augustine said it like this. If you can understand it, then it isn't God. If you can really fully understand it, then it isn't God because God is so far beyond our understanding. So my wife, Caitlin, is pregnant. We are expecting our second child in May. And since it's our second, we are, thank you, yeah. We are very excited and we're already tired since it's our second. We just know what's coming, so there's some dread with the excitement, but mostly we're excited. But anyway, I'm sure that you know, I'm sure that you know what people who are expecting, what they get asked all the time. So the first thing is you get asked, when are you due? But what's that next question? Is it a boy or is it a girl? Right. Do you know what you're having? Every person asks that question. Now, there's nothing wrong with that question. I have certainly asked that of other people, and we were excited to find out that we're having a girl, just like we would have been excited if we found out we were having another boy. But when you think about it, why is it that everyone asks that question? Even if it's someone that we don't really know, why do you want to know if they're having a boy or a girl? You see, this question, it helps our mind to start to fill in this picture of who we think that person will be, of what life will be like for them and their family for the rest of their lives. Before we're even born, we enter into a world either of pink or blue. You literally shop in a different section of the store depending on the answer to that question because we buy these kind of clothes for boys and these kind of clothes for girls. We decorate a girl's room this way and a boy's room that way. But then as life goes on, there are some other expectations that we start to have. Like we expect that boys will play this way and girls 
will play that way. We expect that girls should behave this way and boys should behave that way. We think that boys should like these things and these people and girls should like those things and those people. And we start to put people into this box, don't we, of what our lives are supposed to be like before we're even born. Now, as a society, we're starting to become more aware that it's not that simple. People are much more complicated and individual than that. We don't all fit into these neat little boxes. And there are so many more expectations than just gender roles, aren't there? I mean, there are all these messages telling us how you're supposed to dress, that tell us what your body should look like, what size and shape your body should be, what kind of job is a respectable career path, to have, what kind of friends you should have, what kind of family you should have, what kind of things you should enjoy in your life. But really, none of us fit into all these boxes because we're all different. We're not that simple. And the church, unfortunately, has often just made this worse because without knowing, without meaning to, with good intentions, we say, here's what a good godly life should look like. Here's what a good godly family should look like. And then what happens when you don't fit into that picture, into that box? You feel like maybe there's something wrong with you. Have you ever been there? I think some of us experience this more acutely than others, but everyone at some point has known the pain of what it feels like to try and be something that you're not to try and be forced into these boxes and categories that just won't fit. Now, I bring all this up because we do the same thing with God. Just like we try and fit each other into these boxes that don't always fit, we try and do the same thing to God. Just like Moses was asking, what is your name, God? Let us understand you. Help us to know what the full picture of God is. But the reality is this, everything that we say about God is a metaphor. Every single thing is a metaphor. So it's true, but it shows us one picture, one aspect of God. So is God a rock? According to the Bible, yes and no, because God is not just a rock. Is Jesus a lamb? Yes and no, it's not that simple. So when Jesus says, pray to God in this way, our Father, what does that mean? To put it bluntly, does that mean that God is a dude? Does that mean that God is a dude? The, the common picture of God is this old white man sitting on a cloud. No, it's not that simple. We laugh at that, but that is the common understanding. God is beyond our understanding of gender. Think back to the book of Genesis. God says that humankind is created in God's image, male and female. So we all know that God is our Heavenly Father. Did you know that there are actually plenty of places in the Bible that describe God as a mother, too? I want to show you a few of these passages, because I'm guessing we're not as familiar with these. Hosea chapter 11, God says this, I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. God is like a mother who nurses her children. And then later, later in Hosea, God is described as this mother bear. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. God is this fierce mother 
there. Then the author of Deuteronomy tells the people of Israel this, you forgot the God who gave you birth. And then Isaiah, God says this, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And then one more, Jesus says these words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. God is like a mother hen. You see, God is so much more complicated. There is so much more to God than what we might think. And the reason why I think it's so important to lift up these images of God is because a lot of people have a hard time connecting with just God as a father, especially for people whose experience of a father was not so good, whose father was absent or abusive or neglectful. It can be hard to see God as a father. It's helpful to remember that God is also this fierce, compassionate, protective mother who watches out for her children. So back to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus uses, in the Lord's Prayer, this image of God as our Father for a specific reason. Because Jesus was a part of two worlds, the Jewish world and the Roman world. And in the Roman world, the Greco-Roman world, it was a very patriarchal society. So everything had these very clear structures of power, of who was in charge and who was over who. And it all started with the family structure. And at the top of the household was what they called the pater familias, the father of the family, the head of the household. And this pater familias, everyone in the household was supposed to obey the father and be loyal to the father. But it didn't just stop there. It actually went to their whole society was built on this structure. And by the way, this doesn't mean that that's how God intends our families to be set up. That's just the reality of how things were. So the whole of society was set up in this structure, and at the very top, the ultimate authority rested with Caesar. It was the emperor, was the ultimate authority, the pater familias, the father of the entire Roman Empire. Not a lot of people realize this, but actually, the Romans were pretty tolerant of religious diversity. They actually, for the most part, didn't care what religion you practiced as long as you still acknowledged that the ultimate authority was Caesar. As long as you still remain loyal to the emperor, the pater familias, the father of us all, then you were good. So when Jesus says, pray in this way to God, pater hemon, our father, it's this powerful political statement. It challenges the authorities of this world that says, no, actually the ultimate authority, our loyalty, it only lies with God. So whenever there's a choice, whenever there's a conflict between loyalty to the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of God, Jesus reminds us in this prayer, you are supposed to choose God. So when we're told that we're supposed to be loyal to the bottom line, or we're supposed to be loyal to maintaining the status quo, or to choosing our race or our nation over others, over compassion, then Jesus reminds us in this prayer of who our Father is. It's God to whom we owe our loyalty to, and no one else. So let's go to the next part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Now this image, like I said, of talking about in the heavens, it gives us this picture of God who is very far away, who is off sitting on a cloud somewhere. 
And while it's true that in the Jewish imagination, the heavens were tied to the clouds, their understanding of the clouds was actually also tied back to Exodus. Do you remember in the story of Exodus, before, after God freed the people from slavery, they wandered in the wilderness, but they weren't alone. God stayed with them during their journey. They saw the presence of God at night in this pillar of fire, and then at, by day in this cloud that traveled with them. So in Exodus, God was in heaven, but the heavens actually came down to be with them. And when you think about that story, man, they had a rough journey. They were lost, wandering for 40 years. They got totally fed up with God, but the whole time God in heaven stayed down with them, traveled with them. I don't know about you, but I feel like this is a time in our world where we feel like we're wandering, like we're lost. We just want to find our way home to some sense of stability. It can feel like God is far off in the heavens, but actually God in heaven is here, bringing heaven to us. There's one more story about a cloud in the heavens that's in the Gospels. It's the transfiguration story. Maybe you remember this story. Jesus and a couple of his disciples were up on this mountain, and before their eyes, Jesus' appearance is transformed, and what looked like this common, dirt-covered rabbi before them suddenly transformed into this radiant, beautiful presence of God. And as this happens, they're surrounded by a cloud, this cloud that symbolizes the presence of God in every nook and cranny, filling every space around them, and they find themselves in heaven right there with God. And the interesting thing about this story is it doesn't actually change their reality. Jesus was God all along. It's just they didn't see it. The presence of God was always with them. It just helped them to see it in that moment. Just like the presence of God is always with us, we just don't always see it which means that the things that we thought were common, the parts of our lives that we thought didn't matter, that were mundane, guess what? All of those parts, the parts of our lives that we didn't feel like were good enough, the parts of our lives we didn't feel like fit into what they were supposed to, all of that is sacred because God, our creator, is here in all of it. For this series, we wanted to include a practice each week something that we could do a practical way to try and live out some aspect of the Lord's Prayer. And so this week, our practice is to help us try and realize the presence of God that is already here around us. Now, this practice is something you can do wherever you are. This afternoon, you can do it bundled up, wandering around your frozen neighborhood. You can do it out in the grocery store, at school, at work, wherever you are. Take a minute to try this, but we're going to do it together now, whether you're at home or whether you are here together. So what I want you to do is take a moment to look around you. I want you to look around and notice what you see. Notice the people that are here. Notice maybe the objects. If you're at home, maybe you can see outside. Maybe you see some pets or other aspects of nature. Take a look around at everything you see. And now what I want you to do is to imagine that this space is filling up with something like water. And this is a good water. This is a water that comforts 
and supports. It fills every nook and cranny. Imagine that this space is filling up with that water of support and comfort. And then realize the truth that that is the reality of God's presence. God is present all around us, filling every nook and cranny of our space and time. The people around you, the the animals around you, even if they have no awareness of it, even if they couldn't care less about God, God's presence is still all around them like it is with you, giving you love and support. So now what I want you to do is pick one thing or person If you've got a person, maybe a person would be good. Pick one person that you see and pray for them. Pray for someone around you in this space. If you don't know what to say in this silent prayer, just say something like, God, I thank you for your presence with them. God, I thank you for your presence with them.